you know, I've never looked back at it with regret. Yeah. Because it did pave the way. Because the next 22 years, I was a TV news anchor man, and they were paying me pretty good money. Right, right, <laughs> to right. To do that yeah. in a lot of interesting cities across the country. And so um, you had this sense of competition with the other news teams, and you had this really overwrought image of yourself as a celebrity because everybody yeah. told you you were. Because as a local news guy, people knew you everywhere you went. <laughs> and, and, you know, they would always tell you, I watch you every night. Yeah. You know, and they would get so excited to see you. Uh, you went from one station to the next bigger station to the next bigger station. And it was okay. it was a thrilling life. It was a great way to, to live other than it kind of dominated your, your week. I never did understand in my own heart why the TV news people were so often parodied as being shallow or artificial or yeah. insincere because that was never anything that I felt I was guilty of. I, I didn't think that I projected that. I certainly didn't feel that. But the longer I was in the business, I saw why there is that stereotype. The father of Stephen saw me in an elevator one day and said, son, have you ever considered being a TV newsman? And yeah. I said, well, uh, no. <laughs> I never had considered. He was like, stop by my office. So I went by his office and he said, you have the look, you have the voice again. And I think you you know don't do what steven's doing what steven is doing is stupid i mean he's chasing a dream but it's never going to pay off and you need to really change gears right now if you want to prosper and get ahead so you know i'm 19 years old so i said okay sure so i changed my coursework around and you know what the moment i started studying what journalism was because yeah. i was not a journalism buff as a kid mm -hmm. but the moment i got into the academic pursuit of what journalism is i realized Man, this is really, really great. Yeah. I yeah. love this stuff. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Cinema After Dark podcast. I'm Max Cole, the host and producer of this podcast, and you're broadcasting from the entertainment capital of the world, sunny Los Angeles, California. The sun has set, and the moonlight is now upon us. Thanks so much for joining me on this broadcast tonight. I want to remind everyone listening, you can listen to all the episodes of this show if you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Remember, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, make sure you reach out to me via the contact link that's on our website over at cinemaafterdark.com. You need to make sure you have some skin in the game, though, prior to reaching out. And by skin in the game, you certainly need to have a few credits under your belt. We value that for credibility and we need to have something to talk about. I also strongly encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Cinema After Dark for the latest show updates. I want to remind everyone that's listening that this is an information and discussion-based podcast, and we do not censor ourselves, and we certainly do not censor our guests. So please keep in mind that there might be views and opinions expressed on this podcast that may not reflect the views and opinions of the host. We've got a tremendous guest here tonight. I'm very excited to bring this gentleman on the show by the name of Brad Holbrook. And let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Holbrook. Brad Holbrook is an actor turned newscaster and an actor turned entrepreneur. Holbrook has worn many hats through the years. An acting scholarship got him into college where he eventually learned that acting despite its many rewards, was an almost certain pathway to poverty, at least in near term. That inspired him to explore another storytelling avenue, 
that of a TV newsman. The hours were long, but the pay was short. And those early reporting jobs in Illinois, Nevada, and Oklahoma. Later, major stations in Boston and New York City made Holbrook their lead anchorman, and he could finally get good seats in restaurants and a livable wage. Local TV news was on its way to irrelevance at the end of the 20th century, and after covering 9-11, Holbrook decided he'd seen enough from his perch as a journalist and retired from broadcasting. Now, living in New York City, the opportunity to get back to the acting thing seemed doable for Holbrook once again, and he tried to take the stage. After kicking off some dust, Holbrook got roles in several major motion pictures and, of course, several episodes of Law & Order. The need for actors to submit video when they apply for a casting notice led Holbrook to think about ways that his history with TV and his interest and his inherent geekiness might be employed in a venture that would make it easy for actors to get and use video. He created a studio and started taping actors in 2009. The venture is Actor Intro, and it continues to operate mostly as a professional self-tape service. In 2015, Holbrook saw an opportunity to acquire another online service company called Actors Insight, and he bought it from the people who had started it three years earlier. The service allows actors to select from a panel of CDs and representatives, submit their demo reel or self-tape to them, and get written feedback. This became an invaluable service for actors who had little means of getting objective professional advice on their acting and marketing materials. Holbrook stays busy acting here and there, but the two companies he runs takes up most of his time nowadays. This is a fantastic discussion here with a gentleman that really has one of those fantastic broadcasts of voice there, and I'm looking forward to sharing this discussion with all of you. So this is that part of the show where I ask that you make that fresh batch of popcorn. Sit back, relax, and get comfortable while you listen to tonight's guest. Oh my goodness, my goodness. Have we got a treat for our listeners here today? My gosh, Brad, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast here, sir. Terrific, Max. I'm excited to uh, to join you. This uh, very exciting venture that you've uh, been undertaking here these uh, last years. years um, yeah, a couple years. Happy here. to be here. Oh, good stuff. Well, it's you know it's a pleasure to have you on the program. First of all, you've got a killer voice there, sir, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get into that too because you've certainly got your broadcast expertise there. And uh, I would just warn you, Max, I have done voice-offs before with people who wanted to challenge me, and uh, <laughs> I haven't lost yet. Uh, see, I'm not even going to mess with that. I, uh, <laughs> I've seen some stuff, and you're quite fantastic. Oh, oh my God. I, yeah, I'm not even going to mess with that. I'm throwing up the white flag already. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast here, and I'd really like to kind of give our listeners some context. Would you mind sharing where you were born and raised and 
how you got started in the entertainment industry, because I, I think your story is quite unique. Yeah, well, no, I don't mind sharing that at all. I, I'm actually very proud of my upbringing because I was born and raised in Lexington, Kentucky, which the saying that you can take uh, the boy out of Kentucky, but you can't take Kentucky out of the boy is very true in my case. I I grew up uh, with the closest thing I had to a religion was University of Kentucky basketball and football. So I'm a lifelong devotee. Yeah. And live and die with the NCAA tournament every year. Right. My wild cats. Oh, yeah. How do you think they're going to do this year, by the way? Well, I think they're going to win it every year. So that's my my pat answer. So I grew up there, went to high school there, and did a lot of theater, as it turned out, because I have this booming voice yeah. that's a complimentary way to put it i mean i've been told that i have a you know loud mouth which is not <laughs> this complimentary but uh, i could always be heard in the theater i mean that was what people assumed uh, from me when they first heard me and they said well do you have any interest in being on the stage because one of our biggest jobs in middle school and high school stage productions is to get the people to be heard and i said no i'm uh, you know at heart i'm you know, a ham. So <laughs> sure, put me out there. So I was doing like, you know, middle school shows and high school shows uh, in Lexington. And uh, one of my early directors, uh, the one who really shaped my um, interest in the theater, wonderful man, uh, Bob Shaw. I don't even know if he's still alive. Yeah. But, you know, this was a long time ago, but he, he told me, he said, Brad, you have some organic tools in your possession. You've got a loud mouth, uh, <laughs> a voice that can project at a lower register, both of which are, are going to serve you well as an actor. Um, but you also have this Kentucky flat eye and uh, we need you to get rid of that in order for you to be successful. He wasn't from Lexington. He had been transferred or moved in you know, as, as an adult. So he didn't have the Kentucky flat eye. And when he uh, mentioned it, I thought he was talking about my physical anatomy. I thought he was talking about my eyeballs. <laughs> Right. That they were somehow flattened by my <laughs> being born in Kentucky. So I was a little disconcerted, didn't know what to think about that. And I finally <laughs> had the courage to ask somebody and they said, no, you idiot. He means you talk like you're from Kentucky. <laughs> so I said, oh, OK, well, then I, it's not just the flat eye. It's, it's a lot of other problems with the dialect we have there in the bluegrass. Uh, it's, you know, it's not the beautiful Southern drawl that you'll find in Georgia and Alabama. I mean, I, it's beautiful to me, those accents, but in Kentucky, it's more of a hillbilly twangy kind of thing. And uh, so I worked on it and much to the um, amusement of my family, because I, you know, would have to practice, you know, you couldn't let go of trying to do the accent correction. I was 15, 16 years old and they would always be making fun. Are you fine now, Brad? Are you fine <laughs> How do you like your mashed potatoes? Are they fine? <laughs> so anyway, oh, wow. I, that was a, I don't even know why I'm mentioning that. It was a very brief uh, part of my life. But having achieved some success as an actor and this director, uh, Mr. Shaw, we called him, had me do all the leads and all the plays for four years of high school. And, and the bug really stuck with me. I mean, it wasn't just that I was doing it because he encouraged me. I, I really found that I loved it. I, I just love I mean, We did Shakespeare. We did the classics. We did contemporary things. And uh, I just thought, wow, this is this is a wonderful thing to do. And I achieved some notoriety there as a, as a summer stock actor, as a young kid. I mean, you know, people will notice you. And so I got a, a full scholarship to college, um, to a place in Kentucky that you may not have ever heard of, but it uh, was a wonderful opportunity for me. Murray State University is in the western mm-hmm. part of the state mm-hmm. and went there I mean, because I wasn't wealthy. I was, you know, we, our family was working class, lower middle class, poor. Yeah. 
And I don't know that I would have made it to college. So uh, this gave me an opportunity not only to go to college, but also to continue studying theater. And tell me when you want me to stop. No, this is, this is interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's pretty interesting stuff, though. I, yeah. I think it's uh, pretty fascinating. One thing I would love to know is when you realize you could and wanted to do this thing professionally. Yeah, well, that was, that was exactly the next step that I was encountering on the progression that I've outlined for you so far. I was in a play with a guy my sophomore year of college. He was the lead. It was the Taming of the Shrew. He was Petruchio. And he was a grad student who had also graduated from that same school two years earlier and gone off to New York to make his way as an actor. The most talented actor, I think, to this day that I've ever shared a stage with. Incredibly charismatic, incredibly talented, incredibly dedicated to his craft. But the reason he was back at school getting his master's degree was because he got so disenchanted with going to New York. He, you know, he's talking about, you know, I'm living with four other guys in a one room apartment in a place called Brooklyn. And, you know, I can't get an agent. And, you know, the callbacks, they come rarely. It's just it's a very. And I looked at myself in the mirror one day after he had said that he wasn't just speaking to me, he was speaking to a group of people. And I said, God, is that what I want? This is the most talented guy I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's not having his, his way with it. As a, as a 22-year-old actor in New York, I said, well, what the hell am I thinking? Right, right. So as it turns out, his father, Stephen Howard's father, was the head of the television journalism department, which was a new department at this school that was sponsored by GE. GE used that school as kind of a testing ground for its new TV equipment, you mm. know, cameras and film chains and all the things that go in to make a TV broadcast. So we had this, you know, very modern, miraculously equipped studio. Yeah. The father of Stephen saw me in an elevator one day, said, son, have you ever considered being a TV newsman? And yeah. I said, well, uh, no. <laughs> I never had considered. He was like, stop by my office. So I went by his office and he said, you have the look, you have the voice again. And I think you, you know, don't do what Steven's doing. What Steven is doing is stupid. I mean, he's chasing a dream, but it's never going to pay off. And you need to really change gears right now if you want to prosper and get ahead. So, you know, I'm 19 years old. So I said, okay, sure. So I changed my coursework around. And you know what? The moment I started studying what journalism was, because yeah. I was not a journalism buff as a kid, mm, but yeah. the moment I got into the academic pursuit of what journalism is, I realized, man, this is really, really great. Yeah. I yeah. love this stuff. Wow. So, and I wasn't intimidated by being in front of a TV camera because of all my experience having been on the stage, et cetera. So, I graduated in four years with two degrees, one in acting and one in television journalism. Smart move, though, I think, by the way, I think it's a very smart move at the time. Well, thanks. I, you know, I've never looked back at it with regret Yeah, because it did pave the way because the next 22 years I was a TV news anchor man and they were paying me pretty good money. Right, right, <laughs> to right. To do that yeah. in a lot of interesting cities across the country. And, it's so um, fascinating. Yeah, well, it, I, you know, it's it's serendipity. You know, it's that sliding doors thing. I mean, had I not met up with, you know, this actor's father who happened to be the department chairman of a television journalism department, what would have happened to me? Right. I, I might not have ever discovered that on my own. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you you look back on it with uh, kind of amazement. It's, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I'll play something here for a second here, sir. So if our listeners listen to something really quickly, we get just a little bit of a snippet here. Here we go. Let's play this. This is USA Tonight with Brad Holbrook. Thank you, Jerry. Finally tonight, 
It's the end of a memorable era at 660 on your AM radio dial. For more than 60 years, the home of WNBC and WEAF, the spot on the dial now belongs to WFAN, all sports radio. It's the result of a $55 million sale by... <laughs> so it's was right there, but that yeah. is cool. I mean, like, do you ever look back at videos like that, you know, of yourself, and it's just so trippy? I mean, goodness great. You are chiseled. I mean, you, you definitely fit the profile to a T. Like if you could just, you could like have a textbook anchor, you are that. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> in that era, in that era, for sure. No longer. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, my kids sometimes will tell me they've stumbled upon something on YouTube or somebody <laughs> sends them something on their Facebook page or something. I haven't made a habit of like searching for it myself. I mean, yeah, but uh, yeah, I've been aware that one clip you just played there. I think my daughter found that one time. She goes, Dad, your hair it looks so weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> ah, so awesome. That's that's tremendous. Yeah, I, I love said, that. that. Was that was the style for the time? Indeed, it's, it's pretty spiffy, man. I like that. It's pretty good. Yeah, oh, man. But that's awesome. I mean, I haven't had a guest who's had that kind of you know experience. You know, twenty plus years of anchoring and reporting. That's really fascinating, and you know, kind of um really uh you know across the country type thing. I. I wonder what was that world like? And if, I mean, briefly speaking, because it's, it's fascinating to me and it may be fascinating to our listeners, you know, this world of the double Windsor knot, like, you know, the double yeah. knotted Windsor and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the teleprompters. What's that like? Yeah. No, it's completely different than it is today. Yeah. And if you ever saw Anchorman. Oh, yes. Rod, yeah. That, <laughs> that, despite its comedic components and it's over the top will ferrell kind of hijinks yeah. it was very close to that very i mean cool. that's the same era that he set that movie or whoever created that movie set it in the same era that i was doing the news in and right. you had this sense of competition with the other news teams and you had this really overwrought image of yourself as a celebrity because everybody yeah. told you you were because as a local news guy, people knew you everywhere you went. <laughs> and, and, you know, they would always tell you, I watch you every night. Yeah. You know, and they would get so excited to see you. I always thought that was totally bogus and <laughs> totally artificial and totally, I, I just hated it. Wow. I mean, I didn't try to run from it or I didn't become some kind of uh, hermit or whatever. But yeah. I just always saw through it as not being something that's very flattering. It's not really. I mean, Frank Perdue, the chicken guy, would be seen by as many people <laughs> <laughs> and would get the same reactions. You know, So it, it wasn't something that you know inflated the ego. But I certainly worked with people to whom their whole identity yeah. was how much they would be recognized in public. That was their whole identity. And I always thought that was sad, yeah. but you know, different strokes for different folks, but you know, <laughs> I was going across the country for different stations, which was the nomadic way that you lived as a news reporter back in those days. Yeah, uh, You went from one station to the next bigger station to the next bigger station. And oh, it was, it was a thrilling life. It was a great way to, to live other than it kind of dominated your your week. I mean, you didn't yeah. have much time to do other things. And I didn't do any acting during that time, uh, mostly yeah. because I just didn't have the time to consider it. But right. also kind of in the back of my mind, acting was really stigmatized by the perception of TV news executives because uh -huh. they didn't want it ever to be thought that a, some, somebody was doing the weather or the sports or the news out of some sense of wanting to be a star. Right. They wanted it to be based on Pure 100% journalism instincts. Here's important information, and my job is to tell you this information. That's what they wanted it to be. If they thought you were an actor, then that would kind of dilute 
your importance as a news person in their mind. So yeah. I, I, you know, completely put it aside any interest in, I didn't even go to plays or yeah. movies or wow. anything. I didn't, wow. I didn't yeah. want to have any kind of connection to it at all. The distinguishing difference there between both platforms, at least in the way that they were perceived is fascinating to me. That mm-hmm. really, really is that that's something. No wonder that explains a lot. I've always wondered that because I, I think that sort of still exists nowadays with broadcasters and oh yeah yeah i never did understand in my own heart why tv news people were so often parodied as being shallow or artificial or insincere because that was never anything that i felt i was guilty of I, i didn't think that i've projected that i certainly didn't feel that but the longer i was in the business i saw why there is that stereotype because there are a lot of people in that line of work yeah. to whom you can say those things accurately. They are there because they yeah. love having their face on TV. They love being the only person with a microphone. Uh, they love, you know, getting good seats in restaurants because they're recognizable in their little town or big city or wherever they work. Yeah. Um, so there are enough of those people who are driven by that, that it is kind of a broad brush, but it's not completely unwarranted. I just never felt that, you know, this is me of course talking in a flattering way about myself but i never <laughs> felt myself that i was like that. <laughs> i'd like to think that i was yeah it's so fascinating oh goodness i could talk about that all day but we'll switch gears here because that that world is just fascinating to me i, I really think it is it's uh, quite um unique it's a lot different now max that's the thing that i've witnessed in my lifetime i was so fortunate to be in tv news and i did mostly local tv news even in new york and boston and the you know, other big cities but the TV news era was roughly, you know, the mid to late 70s yep. through the mid 90s. And then it's over. It, I mean, it literally is over now Yeah. in terms of the way it was. It's a different thing. I'm not saying it's it's worse necessarily, although I think it is, but it could be better. Too, it's just matter. different. So I had the, the great good fortune to get into it. Right when it was, you know, ripening up is yeah. what it was, you know, that that anchorman Ron Burgundy era, which yeah. everybody, I think, found fascinating and gave you so much opportunity to explore things to the end of it, which happened, you know, in the mid 90s. So mostly right. because of the Internet, Internet yeah. and cable kind of killed local TV news. Nowadays, even social media is uh, kind of trumping right. the news because you find out about things now from a tweet faster than you can exactly. sometimes on the news. Yeah. When I was anchoring the news back in the, my day, if you didn't hear what I had to say at 6 p.m., you had no idea what happened in the world that day. Yep, absolutely. Now, if you don't know till 6 o'clock, it's because you don't care yep. or you're an idiot. I mean, right, <laughs> there's right. no yeah. other way that you can be excused. Yeah, it's so, so true. My goodness. Oh, God, you're killing me here. I get it too fired up when you start talking about this stuff. <laughs> now, let's uh, fast forward a little bit here. You, you know, obviously done a great deal of work on both television and film. Is there a role or a character that sticks out as one of your favorites? Oh, no question. And uh, this is a perfect segue from my previous life as a TV newscaster. I did for, oh, I guess, equivalent, maybe five or six years, a uh, continuing character on The Onion. Yeah. The video uh, <laughs> arm of The Onion, which is famous for its parody satire oh, yes. newspaper and website. <laughs> but we did video. They don't do them so much anymore. But for about four or five, maybe six years there, they would have me come in with a variety of other cast people and do parodies of TV news. And I played this character, Jim Haggerty, who was a morning show host, Mm, Yeah, you know, and we did it in a way. And the reason they hired me was because they knew 
what television was like. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I had told him I have, I have enough real disdain for those people, some of those people <laughs> that give morning TV news a bad name. I, yeah. I find them to be, you know, laughable. And so they under, they knew that I understood who the characters were. And, and that to me, I mean, it, it is acting, but it's also acting from a base of something you know really well. I mean, that stuff was under my fingernails, right. the TV news stuff. And they wrote such great scripts. We did a lot of ad-libbing too, which I'm proud to say I, I contributed, you know, 10% <laughs> of the content here and there. But the script writing was so, so spot on. I mean, it is a particular sense of humor. It's dark. It's edgy. It's mostly geared to, I think, young men in particular. But, you know, there are a lot of young women. My daughter, she was in Boston in college and she was at a party with a bunch of Harvard kids. She didn't go to Harvard, but there was a bunch of Harvard kids there. And she found them to be kind of snooty. Yeah. But at one point, somebody said to her, wait a minute. Somebody told me your father is Jim Haggerty. And she went, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so uh, that demographic, awesome. those college aged kids, men especially, seem to be captivated by these uh, uh, they, uh, video snippets we did. It was never on television. Actually, we did have one year on television on IFC. Ah, nice. But, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I did that. That's what you asked the question. Yeah. I started running with it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> Absolutely. This is awesome. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. I was, yeah, I was curious about that. I kind of guessed that might be it, but yeah, I was curious to hear that. And that's really cool. And I, I, uh, you know, before we kind of switch gears here a bit, I, I do want to know if there's anything about this industry that you kind of wish you would have known before you started, because you've got some experience under your belt and um you know i can only imagine what those first years were like but is there anything that you can think of specifically that kind of sticks out as something that you've learned over the years uh, certainly i mean i gave up acting at the age of 22 right well, as yeah. i discussed you know having left college to go on to do a tv news career because they offered me a job like 30 seconds after i applied for it oh awesome after I graduated as a TV news reporter, so I just jumped at that. But the intervening 20 plus years between my last time acting in college, or actually it was in Summerstock Theater, but at that age, until I came full circle to coming back to acting years later, I realized my approach to acting and to pursuing jobs, which is the bane of every actor's existence, was completely different than I had anticipated it being. I could remember even, uh, you know, the fear factor of, mm. of trying to put yourself in position to get work as an actor, because, you know, so many people want to be actors yeah. and there's no bar to entry. There's no you don't have to have a certificate. You don't have to have a medal or a <laughs> pass a test. Anybody <laughs> right. can say that they're an actor. Yeah. So and it's not a meritocracy. You don't get to just succeed because you're successful. You have to have people believe in you and you have to have people choose you over other people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a very complicated web of things that go into it. So I was terrified about that. Not, not terrified in the real sense of the word, but I mean, that prospect of going yeah. out and like Stephen Howard had done, gone to New York and try to put yourself in the mix. That really throttled down my enthusiasm for the business. Well, now going into it much later as an older person, perhaps with more maturity, more perspective, whatever, right. you know, all that stuff doesn't matter. It does. I mean, I'm not terrified in any way, shape or form about the process of looking for it. I'm more realistic about it doesn't come every time you put yourself in a position to have a job. I mean, the, you know, the, the odds of success are very, very low, but they'll always be that way. And mm, it's not right. personal. Yeah. yeah. So 
that's the one thing. If I had more confidence about not worrying about that part of it back when I was 21, 22, I might've gone in a different direction, but I, like I said, I don't have any regrets having oh, yeah, taken nice. the path I did. No regrets. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's switch gears here a bit. Now, before we go to our break here, you've created sure. two cool services for actors and the like. And mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about Actors Insight first. What is Actors Insight and where did the idea, oh man, it's a cool service come from? Yeah, um, it's not my original idea, although I could have had it. I just didn't have the foresight to have it because I was already doing another business. Actor Intro came first and that was producing videos for actors. Actors Insight was a, and it's a very small world here in New York of people who provide services to actors, whether it's headshot artists or video people or demo reel people or whatever. I mean, it's a pretty small world and you hear about everybody. And, you know, in this day and age, people market their businesses through emails and, and that sort of thing. And so it's easy to get on everybody's email list and you've kind of got your fingers on the pulse of what's going on. So I knew about this service, Actors Insight. And when I first saw it, I went, damn, I should have done that myself because I was in <laughs> I was in the pool before this guy. <laughs> so I called him up and I said, John, and he, of course, knew of my work because, like I said, it, it is a small world. And I said, I would love for us to at least partner because yeah. I create the videos, you bring the videos to the industry people, the casting directors, et cetera, who actors need to have see their work. You provide that service. So this would be a streamlined soup to nuts kind of thing. I create the videos and then through your service, we put them in front of the industry people. And he thought it was made perfect sense, but he had partners in the business and they hadn't quite gotten back their uh, investment money. So they let's not tamper with anything, tinker with anything. Let's just keep going straight ahead. No diversions. And so they, they kind of nixed that idea. But a year later, yeah. John, who lives in Connecticut and is the proud father of two soccer players, two young soccer players, told me, he said, I don't have the time to administer the site anymore. Would you like to take it over? <laughs> so awesome. I went, yes, that's great. So I bought it from him at a, at, for a reasonable fee. And so I, my initial inclination was to blend it into my existing service, Actor Intro, but it just was too difficult to do i you know i didn't have endless resources to do the kind of transition it would require to mesh them together as one thing so they're both their separate entities still right, and right. even though i'm the one that runs both of them so it, briefly it's a service that actors they create a profile page on the website which includes their demo reel their headshots resume all this stuff actors need and then every month we have a panel of industry pros we call them but but that's casting directors, casting associates, talent managers, agents, those kinds of people. And we put them on the website and actors can choose one or more of them to show their video to. And it's a guaranteed thing because you know, they pay a small fee. We facilitate that actor's profile being looked at by that industry pro and they write written feedback. Here's what you can do to make this better. You know, this sucks. This is great. Whatever. I mean, it's just, you know, good. It's like, taking a used car to a mechanic to say, right. do I really want to invest money in buying this car? Or what do you think? It's that kind of feedback on, on the marketing materials that actors need to get from. And it, it, there are so few resources for oh, that yeah. sort of thing. That's such a critical uh, you know, resource for them. Yeah. And it's been very valuable. And, and the casting directors, even though this isn't our intention, the casting directors tell me all the time, oh, wow, you know, I saw 25 people this month when I was on your site, two of them I'm calling in yeah. because I would have never seen them otherwise. And they are great. Right. So we can't 
you know, mention that that's a possibility because that's against all kinds of guidelines. Oh, yeah. and stuff. Right. But but it does happen. And no, I'm not going to deny that it happens. It, it's just a natural part of people when they meet other people. And, you know, it's the networking thing. You know, yep. that's yep. that's the way it works. Yep. It's, it's yeah intended for educational networking purposes. Right. Not necessarily to book jobs, but you never know what can happen. I think it's all right. about exposure and networking by the way with the uh, turnaround time what is the actually average uh, turnaround time and and also how is uh, the uh, feedback done is that done via email no it's done all on the site there's we have a template of questions that the reviewers are asked six or seven questions and then they have a, a box the never-ending text box to write their uh, <laughs> cool. answers in some some Very are brief cool. Some are more long-winded, but it's all, you know, usually very good feedback. And so it's it's a private communication between, I'm the only person on the planet who's read every review that every casting director, agent, manager <laughs> has, has given to an actor. Awesome. From that, you know, I have a lot of knowledge about what works and what doesn't work. I mean, I could do the reviews all myself based on just what I've read for the last two years from what the real casting directors do. I've never done casting, but I have a very clear understanding of you know, what their judgments are like and, you know, what their advice is. And, yes. But it's invaluable and it's very personal. And another thing about the process is that you can't unring the bell. You can't not be seen by this person. You've already been seen by that person. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it helps, you know, if you have an audition in front of Joe Smo, the casting director, you walk in and they, oh, I saw your demo reel. on Yeah. And, mm-hmm. said, yeah, and that happens. That yeah. happens a lot. And, you know, it's, it's a business of you need to know as many people as you can know. And this is just one other avenue that you can make that happen. Oh, it's fantastic. What type of material can an actor submit? Well, typically it's demo reels. Yeah. Most of our actors are, are pretty uh, seasoned. They have been in uh, films, television, even if it's uh, student films. I mean, a good demo reel doesn't really necessarily need uh, high end credits in terms of TV shows or films. It just a good demo reel would be one that really showcases you doing what you do in its best way. Right. It, it's it's not for stretching. It's for being your type. And, you know, in the acting world these days, that's a much discussed concept about until you're famous, you have to really know what your type is, your brand, and you have to be able to to do it on command and you have to be able to do it convincingly. And so you can't fight. I mean, so many actors, and I was one of them as a younger actor, you know, but I can do so much more than be this. Yeah. You know, you see me as that, but I can do so much more than that. That's every actor's oh, instinct. Yeah. Absolutely. But in order to get hired and have someone pay you to act, you really have to do what people would normally see you to be anyway and do it really well in a, in a, you know, the most natural, the most convincing, sincere way possible. And a lot of actors fight that. But right. I got uh, distracted there about what demo reels are. But demo reels are typically a minute and a half to two minutes long. They shouldn't be much longer than that. Or if you don't, if, you know, in New York, we have a lot of stage actors, people who've been on yeah. the st- in the mm-hmm. theater scene for years and yeah. years, and they don't have a lot of video. So they're stuck because you have to have video to submit for jobs. So right. how do I get video for a job? So they might have self-tape um, that are done for audition purposes these days. That is you playing a character on screen in a studio, well-lit studio, well-mic, well-mic studio. The other character is not seen, but also interacts with you. That's the way most auditions are done today. It's on tape. And, they, you know, the name for it is self-tape because yep. it's a tape of yourself. Right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, so they can submit those videos uh, and they're 
much more valuable now than they were three years ago. Oh, yeah. Three years ago, casting directors would say, nah, I don't want to see you acting in a studio and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But now because they cast from self-tape so yeah. much, they're much more used to it. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. they say, yeah, no, I, I really like the, your performance in that scene from Girls or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because what you want to do is show them something that is your type again, and it's contemporary and is from a TV show. A lot of actors come in and they say, I'd like to put a scene down from Chekhov yeah. or from a, a film. But those never work as well. It's right. mostly you know TV shows that have been within the last year or two. Right. Find a character that you say, that should be me playing that character. That exactly. should be me. And then you rip the script off of uh, the, the recording on YouTube or whatever, and you know, write it down and memorize it and perform it. And that I've seen that do so well for so many actors. Now, how can people find out more info about actors insight? Well, our website is very helpful. We have a lot of information on it. It's actors insight. And I, of course, always bring this up that I didn't start the company, so I'm not guilty of the way it's spelled <laughs> which I, john and i talked about that a lot when yeah. i was uh, taking over the company it's actors a-c-t-o-r-s insight i-n-s-i-t-e he thought it was really clever that it used site as if it was website right uh, <laughs> but the way i've remembered it uh, best is that if you write it down all as one word and split it up just a little bit differently it could be called actor sin site <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> fantastic and folks i'm gonna leave that in our uh, show notes there too for you but gosh brad i think this is a great place here to take a short break and give okay. you a chance to reset you've been so generous to us and we'll also give our listeners a chance to reset because i do want to discuss actor intro the other cool service that you you know mentioned here earlier i think it's time to take a short break how does it sound to you yeah that's perfect great folks we're going to take a short break here and then we'll be back with more of Mr. Brad Holbrook after this break. Do not go anywhere, folks. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Cinema After Dark podcast. We are continuing a wonderful discussion here with Mr. Brad Holbrook. And gosh, for this half of the discussion, sir, I do want to talk about actor intro. And, you know, you have mentioned it in the you know first half of this wonderful discussion. And gosh, I'd, I'd like to know more about the genesis of it. You know, would you mind kind of sharing with our listeners, you know, what actor intro is and you know what your inspiration was behind the service yeah sure no problem i was coming back to acting like i said in the early 2000s and had done a few years of mostly stage stuff but then eventually getting into the tv and film acting part of it the, you know, all the law and orders and stuff as any new york actor would yeah and during that era, early 2000s, it was becoming more and more important for actors to have video to submit 
for acting jobs. You know, there, there'd be a posting on backstage or Actors Access or any number of these casting operations. And they would say, you know, this was the role, so-and-so, such an age. And this is the breakdown, the description of the character and what they're doing in the show. And to apply for this job, send a video <laughs> and your headshot <laughs> and resume. And this was a, a stymieing to most people. And I didn't have much video um, at the time. Right. So I was scrambling and I had friends, you know, people I'd been in plays with and stuff. And it was a common complaint people are like god they want video i don't have any video i'm a oh, stage yeah. actor right. <laughs> so having had spent 20 some odd years in the tv business i was also really struck by the technical part of television i love the geeky part of it the editing mm. the shooting the all the you know acquisition of footage and making choices about what you put on the air that people had said and interviews yeah. and stuff so i was very geeky about it and very hands-on and only when I got into the larger markets like Boston and New York, where the unions precluded a lowly reporter from touching any of the equipment. But back in my earlier days, I had done all of that. I edited. I even shot my own footage. So I had a background in that and a love for it. And I was talking with my friend who uh, was actually the first person to shoot headshots for me in New York when I you know, came back to acting and he needed headshots. And so this guy... And at my age, and having had some success in a professional career, I didn't want to have anybody shoot my headshots. I wanted to have the best guy shoot my headshots. So, so I found out who that was, and I introduced myself. And he's become a good friend. He's, his name is Jordan Matter. He's, in my opinion, the best headshot photographer in New York. And he also nice. does a coffee table kind of photography books about dancers and a variety of other subjects. So oh, cool. anyway, yeah. so I was talking to him one day over lunch, I think. And I said, you know, it's such a shame that there's not like a place that actors can go put a monologue on tape or do some sort of a video that's not as you know full blown as renting out a closed restaurant at 2 a.m. and setting up lights and hiring a bunch of crew people to come in and do a fake scene, which yeah. was also something people felt they had to do right, right. at that time. And people were spending thousands of dollars. So Jordan said to me, he says, you know, you're absolutely right. I think you could find a way to do it in a more controlled environment, a less expensive environment, but provide exactly what the casting people need, which is what you look and sound like on tape and whether or not you can act a little. So yeah. I took the idea that he had kind of encouraged me to, to run with and created a studio. This was, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, up in Washington Heights, which is a, a area of northern New York, northern Manhattan. And I bought a little uh, studio, one room studio and mm -hmm. converted and devoted it entirely to doing this work. Yeah. And I started doing personality interview kind of videos that, you know, just the kind of a interview. I would interview the people and then for a half an hour and then edit it down into their best 75 seconds, whether they had 75 good seconds or not. Right. And <laughs> we'll make that a nice little video because one of the missing links with the casting process in the 21st century that was pretty much dominant the way it had been done previous is what they call the general meeting. Casting yeah. directors used to call actors in and just get to know them a little bit. Are you a serial killer? Uh, do I worry about what is your yeah. voice squeaky? Do you, are you nervous? Do, uh, would you be comfortable to work with? That sort of information you can get from a, a general meeting. But then uh, in the 21st century rolled around and there's all this extra production going on for web series oh, yeah. and cable series yeah. and all that. And so 
casting director said, we have no more time. We don't have, there's no more general meetings. And they, they literally don't happen to my knowledge. Oh, today. Yeah, right. So I devised this way to give kind of the essence of a general meeting for casting directors to watch in a minute and 15 seconds. And it would be kind of the personality in a nutshell and the charm and the charisma factor and what they looked and sounded like on tape. So I started doing that, like I said, eight or nine years ago, and it became very popular. Casting directors loved it. The actors were sometimes... That was the harder sell because maybe yeah. you've heard this about actors before, but actors love having a script. Oh, yeah. They feel very, very self-conscious <laughs> about talking about themselves yeah. extemporaneously. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a fault that I've never had. But <laughs> a lot of actors do. <laughs> and so for some of them, it wasn't a comfortable way to show themselves on video is by being themselves. They, you know, they're very comfortable being Hermione, yeah. but they don't, they don't want to be themselves. So, right. so it was a little bit of a struggle, but then before uh, too long, self-tapes started happening and self-tapes are auditions that you shoot in a studio and then you send off to the casting people. They, they ask for them and they actually cast recurring guest star kind of characters yeah. off of tape. Now you'll go to the set for your costume fitting or something. You go to the studio and that'll be the first time you've met anybody yep, <laughs> in the production right, right. because you've submitted a tape. Yeah. I'm uh, glad you said that, though, because there's folks that are probably listening that aren't aware of that process and how kind of what plays out now. So, yep. Yeah. So that's probably 60 or 70 percent of my business with Actor Intro now. And it is a, a brick and mortar operation. I mean, I, I have a studio here in my home. And so people come to me every day and, and I shoot their auditions and I deliver them over the Internet and they become famous by Friday. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, now yeah. I've got to ask you this, you know, how does this differ from, you know, someone whipping out that cell phone or using a webcam or having yeah. you know, a friend to grab a video camera and shoot something for them? Yeah, it's the analogy I give is, would you have your sister shoot your headshot and then distribute that? <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> uh, you might and she maybe does a pretty good job of it. Yeah. But, you know, there is a definite uh, smell that comes off of amateur and professional. Yes. Casting. Uh, you know, in the earlier part of the self-taping era, I like to call it an era that started maybe five years ago, they would be more willing to look at bad iPhone footage or yep. badly lit. Even if it's a professional camera, it's badly lit and mic'd footage they, because they were so interested in mining what was valuable about self-tapes. They kind of overlooked all the technical uh, limitations. Yep. But now there are so many people who do what I do professionally you know, just it looks like it's a screen test in a studio uh, at the MGM lot. I mean, it it's, can't <laughs> be more pristine and pure. And yeah. it, the audio is a big part of that. Yes. The lighting is a big part of that. Absolutely. And so casting directors, if they're looking, and this is the realistic thing, if they're looking at 500 people who submitted today for this role in a TV series, they're going to look at the first few seconds of maybe not even 500, but of as many as they can handle. And in those first few seconds, they'll make a determination whether to put them in the save pile or not. Absolutely. And if it looks like it's an iPhone or badly lit or badly mic, they don't care. They're not going to spend any time saying, yeah, but maybe they're talented. No, yep. it doesn't happen. Yep. It, it looks poorly done. And I've had casting directors tell me that they take that as an insult. Yep. But the actor doesn't think the casting director has enough credibility or whatever to present something seriously, yeah. present something uh, professionally. Right. That, right. Uh, you know, they, they, it's a kind of a diss. Right. You want to so, put your best foot forward. You don't want to just yeah. like, it's a video resume almost to a degree. You don't want to have, you wouldn't submit your resume with a bunch of like juice pop stains or like, you know, 
people food do. Stains people do, them. but yeah, you should. <laughs> you, know, you, headshot. you know, this is it's really important. You can only make one first impression, Max. I Indeed. said that to people all the time. Right, right. So so true. By the way, uh, just to switch gears just a second here. You offer um, different types of video services. I know the uh, interview video seems like one of the more popular formats for some. I think this is all about, as you said, you know, making that that first impression. You know, would you mm-hmm. mind kind of talking about the benefits of this video a little bit? That particular yeah. video. Sure. Yeah. What uh, you know, it's it's meant to take the place of that general meeting that you know, they used to do 20 years ago that they don't do anymore just to get a sense of what you look and sound like on tape because that can often be very different than the way you look and sound in person even so it's actually an extra benefit because you are sitting in a perfectly lit perfectly mic'd environment where there's no distractions and you're talking and being yourself so there's a you get a real sense of that you know that person and as you know max people hire who they know in every business right and you are much more likely to feel comfortable moving somebody's candidacy for a job down the line if you feel like you have some connection to them that you know them a little bit or that you're familiar with them or oh yeah yeah i know john he's you know so it, it works on a kind of a subliminal level with that because if you spend 75 seconds with any of the hundreds of actors on actor intro and watch their interview video, I challenge you to say you don't have a sense of who that person is. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're they're you do right. you definitely get that in that 75 seconds because it's so expertly edited. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's a trick because sometimes you can interview somebody for 30 minutes and then think, how am I ever going to get 75 <laughs> seconds out of this person? Good so, point. You know, you can make clever edits and um, make people seem better than they actually are (laughs) sometimes. Right, right. Which is, you know, that's all part of the game. It's not something to to worry about. I mean, it's, you know, films can make you that way too. Absolutely. That's a good point. Right. I know you talked about it earlier, but I just had to kind of rehash, you know, what the benefits are of it. Now, these videos, they can be pretty much posted anywhere, right? Yeah, you get a link to it and uh, you can download it onto your computer and then, Put it up every, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point about a competitor, but when I first started doing this, you know, at the very beginning, eight or nine years ago, Actors Access is a big website for actors. They put their profiles there and their headshots and their videos and stuff. Actors Access had made the bad, had had the bad judgment to get an exclusive contract with this other company that did similar videos. They weren't actually comparable, but they were similar enough that Actors Access put on their site you cannot post any kind of interview video on your profile because we have an exclusive contract with XYZ company. And that frustrated my actors a lot because Actors Access is a very popular site and they feel like they needed to be seen there. And, you know, I create a video for them. I charge them a couple of dollars for it and then they can't put it on Actors Access. Right, right. Eventually, that XYZ company's contract expired. They didn't renew it. And so that was the last roadblock. And that happened maybe four years ago. So, yeah, all the videos that I create for actors can be posted not only on Actors Access, but I don't uh, encourage them to post anything on YouTube. I'm I'm a big anti-YouTube guy in terms of (laughs) acting stuff. Yeah, but uh, there are a lot of other sites. There's backstage. There's you know all oh, kinds yeah. of other sites. You can put your profile there, and of course on Actors Insight, which is another site that you can put your, uh, your yeah. video on. So. <laughs> cool, very very cool. Just to let folks know, you also offer promo videos, slate shot demo reels, 
post yeah. uh, commercial reels and a variety of other services. So yeah, we do all that, and and it's uh you know like you've told me your podcast is a labor of love. This is a, actually a labor of love for me. You know, it's not a profit center. I mean, I you know I do charge for my services, but I mean if you know the bottom line of when the accounting is done, uh, you know this isn't a way to have dinner out or anything. So I try to keep it that way because I know actors. You know, a lot of them are waiting tables or walking dogs or doing yeah. something. You know, that's not their end desire in order to be an actor. And, uh, you know, I know headshot, uh, headshot photographers who charge just an arm and a leg. Oh, yeah. And actors can get, yeah, and, and actors can get convinced that I have to pay that. I have to pay that. And there's always, there's a breaking point with actors. And I, I don't want to be a part of that, you know, let's make money off of actors kind of equation. Because, yeah. you know, first of all, you really can't. Right, right. <laughs> second of all, I, I, my heart yeah. bleeds for them. Yeah, exactly. How can folks find out more about Actor intro. Well, again, uh, the website I have, um, it's a different spelling than Actors Insight, obviously, but it's right. actorintro.com. It's A C T O R I N T R O.com, like introduction of the actors, the whole idea for that yeah. actor intro. And that website has been up for, you know, it's been up, updated and, and uh, redesigned a little bit here and there, but shows all the services. We have a series of videos. Uh, people would ask me questions through email or, 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 text or whatever social media and so i did a segment maybe 10 or 12 of the most popular types of questions and i answer them myself on camera uh just to, as a explanatory service for the kinds of things people would write in and ask about and that's called cleverly enough ask brad so. <laughs> <laughs> very cool stuff yeah your websites yeah. are awesome they're really well done very easy to navigate too as well so any information that folks are curious about can certainly find out on these websites are just fantastic. Yeah. And we'll, you know, again, we'll leave that in the uh, show notes there. And I've got to ask you though, what's next for you? You know, anything else we should look out for? Uh, <laughs> well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. No, uh, no, the, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable doing what I'm doing now yeah. and watching these companies grow uh, at some point. You know, I, I probably should uh, share some of the responsibilities with somebody at some point, but I enjoy doing them both, you know, hands-on right now. Uh, I, I do have some people that I that work with me to do some of the uh, other um, you know, tasks that are required to run a website. But I, you know, I'm doing some acting when I can. I try to stay away from the North American wintertime as much as possible. And my wife and I have been able to uh, get away to South America for nice. most of December, January, and February. So yeah. that kind of puts a, a wrench in uh, continuing to do too much acting. I, I'm talking to a director about being in a short film in April right oh. now, but you know, those things come and go. And, and I don't, I don't have an agent currently. I don't, I'm not pursuing things. I had an agent up till a couple of years ago and he kept trying to send me to things that I looked at the breakdown. I said, nah, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And he goes, Brad, Brad, no, you gotta go. You gotta go. I said, well, no, I, this is not a vendor interest me. Brad, Brad, you gotta go. Cause I gotta get paid. <laughs> <laughs> I say, well, I'm sorry. We're going to have to park company because we're in it for two different reasons. I'm yeah. in it, you know, to have you submit me to things that I would find worthwhile. And you're in it just to throw it up against the refrigerator and see if anything sticks. Goodness gracious. Oh, my. Hilarious. Sounds like you still have got your hands quite uh, full there. Now, Brad, I've got to do something here to you. Oh, gosh. And I'm going to hate to do this to you, but I do this to all of my guests. So it's just oh. one of those things. And, um, I need to ask you, though, if you're ready for it. I mean, it's one of those things where you'll either hate me for it or maybe I, I don't know. You may and maybe it's a coin flip. You'll 
you'll enjoy it. I I don't know. It's it's one of those those things that I've got to do though. You know, I need to give you an opportunity to opt out if you know if you want to opt out. Not a lot of information, right? It's no. <laughs> it's one of those things, though. I've got to got to do it. Okay. Do you want to go for it? Do you want to dive in here? Sure, sure. Why My not? Goodness, everybody likes to dive in. All right, Brad. Uh, I'll give you a second. I'm just going to give you one more second to ponder over just a, just a midget here. It's been so wonderful. I mean, this will be just terrible of me to do, but got to do this. Gosh, do you still want to go through with this? Uh, well, with some equivocation, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go for it because, you know, you said you were a man that, that certainly didn't live in his regrets. So, um, well, <laughs> Brad, this is the part of the show where I ask our guests to share a little fun fact about themselves now. All that for that, right? <laughs> well, it's <fun> <laughs> Uh, it has to be something that people don't know about you. So, you know, a unique fun fact, something that people listening to this podcast, you know, may be surprised to find out about you. And, you know, like those, those broadcast days, I'm going to leave the spotlight on you, sir. On the floor is yours. A fun fact, Brad. Wow. <laughs> is it too late to opt out of this? <laughs> uh, a fun fact. Well, uh, gosh, I, I think my life is an open book. There are very few things that people don't know about me that they care to know. I mean, if you care to know, it's all there pretty much available. I think one of the things that drives my interest in continuing to live which may not be considered a fun fact, but it oh might be something that people wouldn't necessarily uh, jump to in terms of, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm a big tennis guy. I and so uh, nice. Yeah. No, I play tennis three or four days a week. Wow. At my age, you know, it, I can't compete with the younger people, you know, the 20s and even into the 30s as well. But people in my age range, tennis, you know, is age related in terms yeah. of competition. But, you know, I consider myself a, a pretty fair player, having not played in college like a lot of people did and, and you know, coming to tennis late. But it pretty much really defines my happiness nice. is whether or not I'm playing tennis well this week, whether my body is really rebelling against me because I played tennis <laughs> <laughs> yesterday. These kind of define my level of, of happiness. And I'm a big tennis fan. Roger Federer is yeah. kind of my idol. Nice. I was going to ask you that. Okay. Yeah. And nice. so my head is wrapped into tennis a lot. I watch a lot of YouTube videos of people giving instruction whether and i can tell them whether it's bad or not. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah but I, I spent a lot of time with, with tennis and i came to that in my 30s i'm not one of these wow. people who grew up with tennis that's but cool uh, you know, my kids that. are tennis players and uh, ah. yeah no it's a i don't know if that's a fun fact oh match, yeah that's but cool it, that's real okay. cool yeah it's uh, awesome very very good stuff so you get out all the time you have to bring the wd-40 there and spray it on the uh, joints and uh <laughs> <laughs> i wish because i, I wish do there now. was something that was like that uh, because <laughs> As I get older, no I'm joke. telling you, my body doesn't want me to be a tennis player. Yeah. I went to a, a, a doctor, an orthopedic doctor once complaining about knee pain or something. And she yeah. told me, she goes, Brad, how old are you? And I told her I was in my 50s. Yeah. She yeah. said, and you think you should be able to play tennis and not hurt? What's wrong with you? It hurts me. That's what I'm saying. It's like no yeah. joke. Tennis is uh, yeah. no joke. It's uh, I mean, you got to be very athletic to do it. I think it's a really fun sport to play, though. It's it's fantastic. It's a real good time. Yeah. Also, it's a good uh kind of a bonding uh 
sport there too. I mean, it's, it's kind of a great way of like competing with friends and having a good exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I grew up playing uh, baseball, basketball and, and football. Nice. Uh, yeah. You know, tennis when I was growing up was considered a sissy sport. So yeah. I didn't really get on the court for that, but I definitely have become obsessed with it in my second half of my life. And nice. like you said, you know, I have a, a, some really good friends that I've met through playing tennis and that you continue to feel uh, close to and, and part of your your social world even though you've met them only through tennis so yeah it, there's a lot and you can play i can't play baseball yeah. i can't play basketball right. or football now and i right. you know those sports kind of leave you when you graduate college or thereabout yeah. but tennis you can play for the rest of your life and i look at some of these people that are in their 70s and 80s and oh, yeah. even 90s playing tennis and that's so comforting to yeah. me that i'm going to be able to do something that's so important to me in right. terms of just physical health and mental health that you know, I can continue to do it literally till you you fall down dead. <laughs> right, right. It's fantastic, though. By the way, do you have a favorite surface that you like to play on? Yeah, no, I like hard courts. And yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I, it, the true bounce and the 100% positive traction you get from pushing off with your feet, that's so much. You know, a lot of my friends, especially, you know, older guys like me, they want to play on the hard true or the clay because it's softer and, and all that. But I think. If that's your problem on hardcore, just get better shoes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, shoes are key. The ball bounces so much better on a hard court for me, and I yeah. hate to be surprised by the bad bounce you get on clay and um, in grass. I've only had the opportunity to play in grass once or twice, but that's an anachronism. You know, yeah. grass tennis is not really a serious thing <laughs> yeah. except for Wimbledon. Right, <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so true. That's a cool fun fact. There, I appreciate you. Sure, and are you a player as well? I, you know, I have played since I've been out in LA. It's funny. I have a buddy who goes all the time and he's always saying, you should come, you should come. And I haven't gone to do that yet. So I haven't really played any sports out here, sadly, since I've, uh, you know, arrived in LA. I've been, been out here for about 11 years. You know, I haven't uh, done that now back East in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I had a tennis court down the street. It was great. A huge park used to play all the time, but yeah, you know, I haven't been out lately. So it's, you know, you might've just, uh, kind of uh gave me that itch again so uh yeah, it's well it, it gets its uh its hooks in you i mean it did me I, when i went out to play tennis for the first time in my mid-30s at the suggestion of a friend it would never have dawned on me yeah. he said no Brad, you should play some tennis so i went over to central park here where they give lessons the, the teaching pros there at the time were like these russian guys who didn't speak any english but they would you know be as patient with you as you would be with them and i remember thinking what you know Tennis is easy. This couldn't be easier. And I try to hit the ball and I had no success, zero success. <laughs> and I said, this is not the story of my life. All my life, I've been an athlete. I was really good at baseball. I was fairly good at football and basketball. Yeah. But baseball was my sport, which involves a lot of hand-eye coordination. And, and I'd always done uh, you know, pretty high-level baseball. And I thought, this can't be that different. But tennis just pissed me off so bad I couldn't. So I, I you know, because I love a challenge, I said, I'm going to figure this out. So I spent two years really dedicated to learning to play tennis. And then I did a tennis show for five years on television. It was a syndicated right, show, Tennis right. Television with Brad Oldrock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had an old salesman tell me once, a TV, a local TV salesman said, you know, the reason I don't ever get canceled on my contracts with yeah. uh, clients is because I always put their name in it. So <laughs> you don't ever want to cancel your show if it has your name in it. So <laughs> I put my name in my show. So we ran on like Sports Channel and Prime Network for like yeah. five or six years. And I met all the big tennis people. And, you know, yeah. I was living the dream and, you know, got to be a pretty fair player, uh, even in my 40s. And, and now, I mean, I, I still, I you know, like I said, I compete and, you know, don't win all the time. But yeah. I do compete and I take it very seriously. So, Whoa. yeah. Very, very cool. Now, is there any advice that you would like to share with someone that might be listening to this? 
podcast who may want to do what you're doing right now, but you know, maybe they don't have the, you know, the resources or maybe they don't know where to start. Is there any advice you'd give someone that might need a little encouragement? Well, um, whether it's tennis or acting or TV news, the path to doing any of those things at a level that you could be proud of or feel accomplished in is that you have to be in it. You have to be in it to win it. You can't yeah. sit on the sideline and think about it. I, I know a lot of people, I see actors here every day, you know, they come in with their auditions or whatever. And you know, I ask them, what are you doing to promote yourself or market yourself or learn or, or stretch your, your knowledge of the art or whatever? And, you know, most of them are very gung-ho and they're very involved and they know that they're the president of their own company and they have to be responsible for promoting themselves. But there's a, a certain percentage that, well... You know, I'm I'm very talented and somebody's going to discover me. Oh, you know, no. that's just the wrong attitude. Yeah. And that would be the wrong attitude, whether you're a tennis player or, or anything else or you know, you know, would be journalist. People don't just don't get discovered from sitting at home and not doing anything. It just doesn't happen. And right. you need to really push yourself and push yourself. And for acting, it, you should always be taking classes, always, always take classes. I know people come out of a great school with their BFA or whatever, and they think their training is over. No, it's just, it's just starting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to, and in New York, I mean, where I live or in, especially in LA, of course, there are just tons of, of classes to take and, oh, yeah. you know, price can be a, a barrier, but you know, you don't have to end up having to pay the top dollar for classes. All classes are valuable. I think to a certain extent, although there are some charlatans out there, I'm sad to say, <laughs> who try to take advantage of Indeed. actors, but who don't right. have anything to offer. Right. But I mean, a violin player doesn't sit with a violin in the case waiting for somebody to say, would you like to play with our Philharmonic Orchestra? You right. practice every day, whether you have a job or not. You have to so, so practice. So dancers so all know this. Dan you know, the people that like want to be dancers on or like Broadway shows, yeah. show dancers, right. they constantly in class. They, I've never met one of them who thinks that they can just kind of sit idly by waiting for an opportunity. They're in it all the time. Actors less so. Singers and dancers are always working on their skills. Always, right. always. Right. But the actors sometimes get this complacent attitude that, you know, I've had my training. I'm good. I know I'm good. Give me a script and I'll work on it. You know, yeah. that's not the right attitude. You know, I'm sure every one of your guests has said this, but you need to network. You need to get out there and meet people and, you know, stay with it. It's very easy to get discouraged in this business. Very easy. Yeah. But the people that succeed are the ones that maybe they did get discouraged, but they pushed through it. And that's what you have to do. Oh, that is excellent, excellent advice. And gosh, before we wrap, feel free to plug anything that you'd like. Websites, Twitter, Facebook, any social media accounts, anything else that you would like to share that you haven't shared already? Yeah, well, uh, both my websites have uh, Twitter and Facebook presences. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be honest, I'll share a, a fun fact. I don't do social media yeah, myself. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, do, I just don't. But I I hire people to do it for, right, me. <laughs> right. <laughs> for my companies, uh, nice. not for me personally, but for my companies. They show me the the results of their efforts, and you know it's very integrated in the world of acting. And you know you you bump into actors inside or actor intro very easily in social media oh, because yeah. the, I did. the people that I put in to do that for me. I mean, I would go crazy. My head would blow up. I, you know, I'm a baby boomer. We just, you know, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, well, I guess Facebook is now a baby boomer thing. I think all the young people have abandoned it, or at least that's what I was told. But I never got <laughs> into it. You know, uh, there's a comedian that said one time, I finally joined Facebook 
after yeah. years of not joining, I finally joined, and I instantly remembered why I didn't join it before. Because <laughs> who wants to know what your high school friends are doing? Indeed, I know, right? That's <laughs> how I feel about that. Yeah, Facebook yeah. is, uh, geez, but you never get the urge to uh, send out a little tweet there, Brad. A little? No, uh, no, I don't. I, I just, I don't. You know, people get in trouble for that. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's not to avoid trouble that I don't have any interest in it. It's just <laughs> I don't like to think I have many moments in my day that are completely without anything interesting or productive to do. Oh, yeah. If right. I had those moments, maybe I would think, well, I could tweet something. But And I'm not saying that people that tweet right, uh, right. have nothing else to do. Yeah. But it, to me, it would take that kind of a moment before I would ever be moved to think that I should share something on Twitter. It's not part of my DNA, I guess. Yeah. And, I, and I read from time to time where you know, somewhat uh, famous people or notable people don't do it. So that gives me some comfort that is, I'm not the only yeah, one the only one that's, <laughs> that's so true i wonder if you'll catch the bug though i know i don't know it's, uh, we'll do you tweet it. a lot max uh not a lot you know mostly it's it's like promotional stuff and i read right. a lot of tweets though i actually go on there to read a lot but actually i love finding out information and yeah i, I follow a lot of folks that uh, share some really cool information so i'll go on there a lot and read a lot but i Certainly, um, my social media uh, game there, for lack of better words, is pretty sad. So I just don't have the time to to do it. And I don't know. I don't think I'm all that interesting. I, I, uh, well, that's another thing. I always wonder when people post something, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, about you know what happened to them standing in line at Starbucks. Why do they think I'm interested in that? Why yeah. do they think I want to spend even two brain cells thinking about that and to me it's right. almost insulting like and people say well don't read it don't read it well that's been my choice i don't read it but <laughs> right. you know why they think at the outset oh this is important the girl and uh, you know in front of me ordered a double mocha latte blah 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 and uh was pissed off when it didn't come you know i mean okay that right. happens in everybody's life stuff like that happens i mean life is a is an evolving uh, show i mean every yeah. day you you're on a show and and things happen but what happened to you doesn't necessarily interest me. And, and I would never think what happened to me is of interest to you. I would right. never think that. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it becomes kind of indulgent after a while, I think. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I, I never really dove into it as much as some of my uh, friends and peers have. I Unfortunately, it's just uh, something that I, I need to. Oh, it's, I always think I need to work on that. I'm like, but I don't know what I would tweet, really. I mean, most of the time it's like about a film or something like that. Or I'm retweeting some stuff, you know, inspirational stuff. But sometimes I have buddies on there who will joke around and create all these funny pictures and all kinds of stuff like that. And I'll laugh and joke about that stuff. But I never really know what to tweet. But I have to say that, you know, there are some really good articles and things like that that are shared. And I love the information resources out there, you know, like, you know, when you could find like news and disinformation you wouldn't normally have quick access to with a tweet so that'll be good but um other than that i uh yeah i need to work on that so i i hear you on that so uh yeah probably <laughs> well, it's, it's not that I, I disdain the idea of it in any way yeah, I, it's just yeah. to me to be involved in it is, is a little bridge too far for me in terms of how i spend my time but yeah. i do try to stay aware of like you said there's a lot of information i mean look we got a president now yeah you can learn a lot about yeah. <laughs> because, because he tweets exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so i mean i try to stay plugged into it but my news media resources online that i check in with on a continual basis they will often you know mention tweets or, right. or you know reprint them or whatever it's called just so i mean i i feel like i'm aware of what's going on in the twitterverse yeah. even though i don't participate uh, in the actual twitter verse i mean i i'm seeing it 
the second hand, you know, the kind of the, the, uh, what were you, uh, aggregator the kind yeah. of thing, you know, people will say, <laughs> Oh, here's what happened. You know, yeah, the and you can't miss Donald Trump's tweets because they're on the front page of the New York times. Indeed. I mean, Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> insane, right? It's wild, wild world we live in. Yeah. No, it really, really is. Well, sir. Oh God, it's been a wonderful discussion here. Gosh, I want to thank you, you know, sir, for coming on this podcast and sharing your story with our listeners. Also, all the information that you shared about these wonderful services that you are providing. Oh, God, it's it's been a really a great treat uh, to say. Well, the least thanks, of. Max. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk at length about these things because I don't often get that opportunity. I mean, if I can lock somebody in a room, I can you know make them listen to me for this long. But other than that, I don't, you know, people don't generally just kind of give me the latitude to just talk at length but i i enjoy doing it and i really am a believer in, in the things that i do as a service provider for actors and i have a lot of actors who are very you know grateful for that in, in, a, in a very genuine way and and i that fuels me i mean because like i said it's not a way to make make a buck really but yeah. uh the the gratitude i get from actors who i've helped you know defeat that challenge of you know needing good video that sustains me and keeps me wanting to do it so i really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about that oh, i really my, appreciate your interest it's my pleasure sir i'm so glad that you were uh, able to come on and uh, chat it up a bit it's been fantastic and folks really you know check out the info in the uh, show notes there so that you can get a link to these wonderful services and gosh Right. I think it's time to uh, fade out here. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I'm getting a little hoarse now. Max, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you still sound like a million bucks, even hoarse. Oh, you could have. Jeez, uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> well, um, ladies and gentlemen, gosh, that was Brad Holbrook. My goodness. Make sure you check out, you know, Actors Insight, Actor Intro, folks. And we will be back with more after this break. You are listening to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My name is Max Cole, and I host this show, and hopefully you are feeling inspired. It's been a wonderful time tonight. I want to remind everyone that you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe to us there. Greatly appreciate that. Obviously, please spread the word about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema After Dark. Again, thank you all for listening, and we will be back with more shortly. And welcome back to the Cinema After Dark podcast here tonight. Before we wrap, I want to thank tonight's guest, Mr. Brad Holbrook. What a fantastic discussion that was. Oh, goodness, was that enjoyable. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to this podcast tonight. Obviously, the show does not exist without you wonderful people listening out there, so I really appreciate it. Please continue to spread the word about this podcast.